0: Hi everyone, I'm JJ Hornblass, uh, host of FinTech Unfiltered. Welcome to this edition of the podcast uh, from Bank Innovation, the leading digital news service on banking technology and FinTech. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in banking innovation for the week of November 2, 2020. Of course, I wanna thank Bank Innovation advertisers for their support. Uh, before we get into the podcast, uh, a special thanks to Blend, Cardlinks, Mambu, and Q2E Banking for their support. Thank you. i um, pleased to be joined by Rick Morgan and Bianca Chan of the Bank Innovation Team. It is Thursday, November 5, 2020. This week was Election Day. And boy... What an election it was, or should I say is. <laughs> and yeah, for this podcast, it is late in the afternoon on uh, Thursday and a winner uh, has yet to be declared. We'll come back to that in just a moment. The Justice Department today also filed an antitrust lawsuit in federal court in San Francisco arguing that visas, um, announced a plan to acquire Plaid would illegally extend Visa's dominant position in the market and should be stopped. This week also, the Chinese government put the kibosh on Ant Financial's IPO. And, and um, uh, the gig economy companies, uh, including Uber and DoorDash, won passage Of a California ballot measuring, uh, a a California budget protecting their contract worker systems. And that was on election day. That was also uh, significant this week. And finally, this week, did I mention that there was an election that happened? (laughs) This is a remarkable state of affairs that we are in. Uh, As of this moment, results from Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, and North Carolina, as well as Pennsylvania, have yet to be certified. Uh, Joe Biden, the Democratic uh, nominee, presidential nominee, has a number of combinations of these states that will yield him a victory. And he seems to be on track to convert on at least a couple of these states in the balance. In other words, it appears as though Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. We are not announcing that here. <laughs> today. What we are going to do is talk about um, the implications of this potential presidency with the big caveat that it, it hasn't been announced. but should the Biden presidency or campaign become the Biden presidency, uh, you both looked into some implications uh, of the campaign on a number of different fronts. There were three uh, main areas of focus, as I recall, uh, implications for open banking, implications for banking charters, and the potential for a public credit reporting agency. Among these three areas, which had the most sensitivity or uh, the, the, the greatest ramifications should there be a Biden presidency? Bianca, you want to take that one?
1: Sure. Yeah, well, um, I looked into specifically the open banking landscape and how that might change. And the reason why I didn't say anything is because the, uh, the industry analysts that we spoke to said there, there might be more common ground than there is difference when it comes to two administ- administrations um, with open banking. The, the, there are some subtle differences though um, under a, a Biden administration. And that is um, that, that a, a Biden appointed CFPB director might, ha- might be a little bit more hands-on in terms of the burden and obligations put on banks Uh, relatively speaking, uh, compared with, you know, the Trump-appointed current CFPB director. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that Democrats traditionally have made um, consumer protection a bigger part of their platform. So for the fintechs and banks that kind of, uh, you know, open banking as we're doing this for the the best interest of the consumer, um, that alignment should help.
0: Rick, are, uh, of the these in these other areas i mean where was yeah. the the biden presidency potentially more impactful which is the De- word I'm definitely the, the public credit
2: reporting agencies uh that was an initiative put forth by a joint uh biden and Bernie sanders um statement when they were talking about potential uh, policies down the road um the public credit reporting agency was something that they put forth as a way to Eliminate bias and lending practices and just create a more open financial system, uh, more inclusive financial system. Uh, It's not something that's really even on the radar of Trump, uh, (laughs) to say the least. And the analysts that I spoke with said it's probably most, it's something that Biden would pursue um, and definitely not Trump. Uh, So I think that was the one that has the biggest implications for uh, uh, potential for change, depending on who wins.
0: You know, it's interesting there. I think there is some perception that this Trump administration has had like zero consumer protections. Um, and in fact, just today, the CFPB took action against two, uh, lending companies in, in two different sectors. Um, but, I, you know, suffice it to say, you know, it's it probably isn't. To, you know, doesn't rise to the level of maybe a, a classic Democratic administration, but it is also fair to say that it's not zero. Uh, it hasn't been. There hasn't been zero enforcement. Um, they haven't been handing out banking charters willy nilly, um, and and even you saw the whole. You know, the all back and forth on on the fintech charter, which really, um, you know, you would, you would think that there would be uh, a willingness to, to open that charter dynamic more uh, freely under a um, kind of, you know, uh, a, a, Repo- a Republican administration. Um, you know, they still were vetting that pretty closely and they were pretty uh, stingy with the charter uh, yeah. even yeah. under uh, uh, a Republican administration.
2: And it was introduced by Thomas Curry, who was an Obama appointee in the OCC. So it's something, the, the fintech charter and the payments charter is definitely something that um, sort of splits party lines in a lot of ways and, and is, you know, uh, has support on both sides of the aisle, but also has disagreement. You know, it's facing its fair share of resistance, but it's, it's hard to uh, categorize as like a, a party, you know, thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I wonder about is whether or not there'll be counteractions in a in a democratic administration for spite, like for for just to just uh, because uh, this has been such a divisive period um, that there is kind of a maybe a feeling of like we need some payback uh, for all that has gone. I, mean, I know it sounds childish. But politics has been childish the last four years, um, so I, I wonder, you know, how that'll play out in uh, in financial services. Whether uh, a different administration, CFPB, may just kind of, you know, blanketly try to legislate through enforcement, which is something that happened um, under Obama to some degree. Um, uh, to some degree, in in specific sectors, probably most notably in in the auto finance sector, which Bianca you're familiar with, uh, where there was an 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 effort to, as they say as they say in the industry, you know, legislate uh, through regulation.
1: <laughs> I wonder where that be. Yeah, thinking about you know actions taken if the administration changes in, in terms of spite. I think a symbolic. Um, a symbolic action that I could venture to guess would be for sure a new uh, CFPB director. I think sure. that's become somewhat of um, a party line symbolic uh, position within, you know, the regulatory framework. And so I think... Yeah,
2: that's pretty there- standard. You know, I mean, like that that's... That. Every administration appoints their own cabinet members to those positions once it's... Yeah.
0: Let's turn our attention to some uh, uh, industry-specific news, not necessarily uh, political, although it's hard to focus on anything else these days, but let's try. Um, Wells Fargo announced uh, a couple of new startups that joined its accelerator program. Bianca, what do those startups say about Wells Fargo's technology needs or gaps?
1: Yeah, that is that is the, the key here. So there's two um, two FinTechs that are numbers, uh, 26 and 27 of, of all companies in, in Wells Fargo Accelerator's uh, portfolio. One uh, is called Extend, and it's a digital payment infrastructure specifically um, providing modern card experiences. And so what we can glean from this, uh, not even glean, what we can say about this is um, it, it shows maybe a gap or, or at least a, a desire or a, a push within Wells Fargo's commercial credit card team. Uh, we spoke with uh, the head, the, the guy who heads up Wells Fargo Accelerator, his name's Kevin Bowie, and he said that every time a, um, a fintech is admitted into the program, it's directly tied to a, a business line, I guess we could say problem or, you know, gap, <laughs> area for improvement. Uh, And so specifically, right now, they're exploring um, how the commercial card team can use Extend's technology uh, to kind of modernize that corporate card experience, letting their corporate clients kind of manage these cards um, that their employees use. And so we can kind of uh, glean a gap from there. And then Oliver, which is an interesting company, um, they're a legal servicing platform. And if you don't know what that means, it basically means that that is a platform that connects Wells Fargo with local authorities and local courthouses. I think the end goal is to to embed local regulations and processes into Wells Fargo's technology. Now they're still working out how that communication that happens on the platform will be embedded into the technology. Uh, But I think it's kind of just having this uh, knowledge of local regulations and uh, processes. So, mm
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess extend right. That's the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that seems like uh, something of a maybe a a reaction to or an endeavor on the part of Wells to try to make up some ground on American Express, where you know, which has such a a, a profound you know, deep, you know significant position on commercial cards. Um, uh, the other, the Oliver is seems more uh, intriguing. this is like a platform to allow for the local authorities to submit regulations to wells?
1: Yeah, and to facilitate communications between the two, and I imagine to share data and, yes, like regulations, laws, processes. But it's basically the platform facilitates that kind of communication.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, uh, turning our attention to the payments world, uh, Rick, some, some good, some interesting Venmo and Zelle numbers this week. Um, who's winning between those two uh, peer-to-peer payments platforms?
2: Well, if you just go by the numbers strictly, it looks like Zelle's winning. Um, This quarter, Zelle processed about $84 billion in payments compared to Venmo's $44 billion. Um, So, you know, obviously, $84 billion is quite a bit higher, but um, a lot of people will tell you that those Zelle numbers, um, (laughs) it's it's hard to call that winning necessarily uh, because Zelle has such a captive audience. Uh, people who are already using their banking app to transfer money. So it's not necessarily, you know, net new customers. Uh, Whereas Venmo's increase in numbers uh, actually signifies, you know, more users using it, more users uh, sending more money and, you know, gaining new new customers and users through word of mouth. Um, So uh, certainly Venmo has the higher volume, but uh, those numbers aren't quite apples to apples.
0: I mean, you know, the whole Zelle initiative was to help banks, you know, stanch the payments bleeding to third-party payments companies, right? To to kind of keep their keep the payments within the banking community. I mean, I think you gotta say that that it's it's a success. I mean, it works. It, It has worked. I mean, they have clearly. Um, maintain control over a vast portion of payments activity and the growth rate there, I think, Rick, was still really high, right? I mean, I think there's still... 17% I uh, think. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty high rate at that volume already, so um, I mean, I think you gotta say that it's, you know, it, it has, you know, chalk chalk one up for the banks as as a really successful endeavor. I mean, looking at it already at, at its mature state and maintaining that kind of growth rate. I yeah, I don't know. Seems like a seems like you can we we can we can declare it it as an endeavor, a success. We were we were just about to declare a winner
2: in terms of the, uh, the Zell Venmo, right? No, um I think yeah I think that it's very obvious that Zell has um, uh, done its job, as you're saying, in terms of you know keeping that payments in the bank infrastructure. Uh, Venmo, but Venmo is still growing too, so it's hard to say. Um, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily stopped Venmo from from doing its thing. Um, the interesting thing with Venmo, and we talk about this all the time, is monetizing it and making it more than just a cool tool to send money. Um, so the real thing to keep an eye on for Venmo is okay, you have all this payments volume. Can you translate that to revenue and profit through? Uh, you know, paying merchants through Venmo, the Venmo debit card, the new Venmo credit card, these QR codes, and just trying to make it more than just a P2P uh, payments network. And that's really what a lot of people are keeping their eyes on right now. Their eyes uh, on right now.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess the example for the venture that has really succeeded in doing that is is Ant Financial in China, mm-hmm. bringing the conversation to a full circle related to its failed IPO. Uh, what is, uh, other than perhaps, uh, being able to identify a new president of the United States, what else is going on next week?
1: Well, we have our banking automation summit, of course, which I hope all of our listeners will attend. It's on a Monday and Tuesday, and we've got an amazing slate of speakers to talk about, you know, what's new in automation and, um, what we've learned from the pandemic in terms of automation and financial services.
0: Yeah, we've done a survey even to uh, gauge automation, get some data points on the, the degree of automation in banking today. So that's out in, in, the, in the wild, uh, collecting data right now and, and certainly looking forward to next week. Banking Automation Summit is.com, excuse me, Banking Automation is the website. We hope you'll join us um and and of course uh rate us on your podcast platform whichever that may be and uh, be sure to visit us at bankinnovation.net we'd love to see you online as always thank you so much uh, for joining us thank you to rick and bianca we'll see you uh, next time Take
2: take care